0: Hello, I'm Paul Antley, and you're listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. If you're over 60, you're still worthy of being heard. Tis the season when every nonprofit organization wants a piece of our charitable pie, wanting us to give, even as retailers besiege us to buy. The donation solicitation letters, postcards, emails, and social media posts are relentless. Give, give, give. Give now. Give more. Give to us. Take advantage of that tax write off. Well, full disclosure, I'm a skeptic. More accurately, I'm a Scrooge this time of year, and here is a why. I have both worked for and consulted to many nonprofits both private and government-funded, local, state, national, and international, and I have seen my share of waste, misuse of funds, outright theft, political allocation and disbursement, misleading information, and leadership scandals. Thus, I am very circumspect in my giving, not only because I have a limited budget for charitable donations and don't need the small tax deduction I would receive, but also because I insist on knowing how the organization is using my money. I'm not interested in paying corporate high six-figure salaries for CEOs or for conferences that bring the have-nots to the table to discuss problem solving rather than just giving them the resources and or teaching them how to solve the problem. I'm not interested in supporting board of directors' retreats, the printing of useless dated printed materials that end up in the garbage, and much of which I designed and produced myself. And uh, by the way, speaking of things that end up in the city dump, so do those unused law signs for political candidates. And I'm not interested in self-congratulatory dinners and plaques. However, I do recognize the role that philanthropy plays in American society, filling the gap of services that neither government nor business can or will provide. Americans are big-time charity donors, with our money, our time, and other resources. In 2021, we contributed about $484 billion. Now, that's more than a billion dollars a day, and most of those contributions come from individuals. Here's an aside here. By the way, the U.S. ranks third internationally for giving citizens, behind Indonesia in first place and Kenya in second. COVID took its toll on charitable giving, so we're down a bit from 2020, and the makeup of the typical donor has changed. It's now more folks with deep pockets than those with smaller wallets. I know that many of the cultural pleasures I enjoy couldn't exist without donations. And I understand that philanthropy is really about addressing need, or maybe perceived need, through integrating finance, politics, in other words, influence and relationships, and ego. Philanthropy and social justice, for example, make odd bedfellows And there's an interesting discussion of that on a Women's Media Center live podcast between host Robin Morgan and Patty Chang, co-founder and CEO of the Feed the Hunger Fund. I'll put a link on the Woman Worthy Facebook page to that podcast. Okay, so why do we give? Because the character of the American donor is evolving from the middle class wage earner to the wealthy and from the baby boomer to the millennial, the reasons for charitable contributions are also changing. These days, it's more about tax breaks and ego than about contributing to society, improving society, righting wrongs, and a sense of community. That doesn't mean those motivations no longer exist. It just means they're lower on the list of reasons to donate. Aside from whatever tax relief or personal acknowledgement we gain from donating, I do think, skeptic though I may be, that most of us probably want to help and want to feel connected to the cause. We have a personal interest in and or emotional investment in something or someone. A disease, an institution, a service, an issue, a place, or a person about whom we care, so we care about their cause. Once we've decided on a cause, there are a myriad more choices, such as, should I give locally, nationally, internationally? How in the world can we choose? There certainly are benefits to donating to local organizations. You may have heard the adage, think globally, act locally. Local organizations are typically smaller charities, so your your donation is more actionable and less likely to be used for questionable purposes. When giving locally, you can get a closer look at how your donation is being used. On the flip side though, because local organizations tend to be small and underfunded, their longevity and likelihood of success are at risk. Also, a higher percentage of their budget is likely to go for operations than for the actual provision of services. Global, or at least national nonprofits, often have a greater reach and history of success. However, I want to be perfectly candid here and advise you to really understand what success means. Trust me, as a communications professional, I have developed many so-called success stories to impress leadership and donors, and they really weren't successes at all. They were just spun to look that way. There are multiple ways to donate, of course, directly to the organization, one time only or sustaining setting up a private foundation if you have the means, and increasingly participating in donor-advised funds or DAFs, I'll call them DAFs. They've become increasingly popular. The August 2022 online Investopedia article on DAFs describes them as private funds administered by a third party and created for the purpose of managing charitable donations on behalf of an organization, a family, or an individual. The fund is financed by contributions from multiple donors and its aim is to sort of democratize philanthropy by accepting contributions based uh, on modest um, donations. Some start as low as $5,000. DAFs offer tax advantages and can accept non-cash assets as well as cash. And when donors transfer assets to donor-advised funds, they can avoid capital gains taxes and receive immediate fair market value tax deductions. Now, a private foundation is a charitable organization typically created by an individual, family, or corporation. Both private foundations and donor-advised funds are charitable giving vehicles. However, private foundations have much stricter tax laws and regulations governing their actions. Compared with donor-advised funds, private foundations have greater administrative control over assets and making grants, including the ability to make grants to organizations other than IRS-qualified 501c3 public charities. There are several different types of donor-advised fund sponsors from which to choose, such as community foundations, which typically support local causes, national DAFs, such as the Vanguard Charitable Endowment Program, the Schwab Charitable Fund, and the Fidelity Giving Account. Other DAFs are not affiliated with financial entities, such as the American Endowment Foundation or the National Philanthropic Trust. There are public foundations that support national and international charities that focus on a particular issue or geographic region. Other public charities, such as universities and hospitals, establish donor-advised funds within the walls of their respective organizations with the purpose of advancing their own charitable missions. Of course, as with any investment, and I certainly am not recommending, nor am I qualified to, Uh, any investment, but there are of course pluses and minuses with the donor-advised funds. This is again from the Investopedia article. The biggest advantages of donor-advised funds is the immediate tax benefits. Whether you choose to disperse the assets to an approved charity immediately after contributing to the fund, or let the assets grow tax-free, you still receive a tax benefit immediately. Additionally, you also receive full control over how the account is managed, and you can write off the fair market value of the non-cash assets, such as a stock, thus preventing you from paying capital gains tax. On the minus side, because you receive the tax benefit immediately, your assets can't be returned to you for any reason. You can suggest to which charity the funds will go, but the broker has the final say. And donor-advised funds can sit on the funds indefinitely with no deadline for disbursement to charities. And there can be fees attached to managing the fund. The article points out, quote, criticisms of donor-advised funds have mostly centered on the fact that they can become placeholders for money and assets and are set up to help wealthy individuals earn tax advantages. They've been called, quote, philanthropic, fracking and have been accused of warehousing wealth, end quote from the article. At this time of year, there are plenty of charity scammers, as ARP notes online, quote, Charity scammers are especially active during the holidays, the biggest giving season of the year. Some sham charities succeed by mimicking the real thing, like genuine nonprofits, they reach you via telemarketing, direct mail, email, and door to door solicitations. They create well designed websites with deceptive names. The ARP article continues Some operate fully outside the law. Others are, in fact, registered nonprofits, but devote little of the money they raise to the programs they promote. Federal and state authorities who shut down a massive fundraising network in March of 2021 said the affiliated companies pocketed as much as 90 cents on the donated dollar as they bombarded consumers with illegal robocalls and deceptive appeals to support homeless veterans, cancer patients, and children with autism. With a little research and a few precautions, you can help ensure your donations go to organizations that are genuinely serving others, not helping themselves. And still, this is from the ARP article online. ARP offers these warning signs. Pressure to give right now. A legitimate charity will welcome your donation whenever you choose to make it. I'm going to add my own comment here, not just on... Giving Tuesday, whatever day that was. Okay, back to the ARP warning signs. A thank you for a donation you don't recall making. Maybe you think you've already given to the cause, and that's a common tactic that unscrupulous fundraisers use. A request for payment by cash, gift card, or wired transfer. These are scammers' favorite payment methods because the money is easy to access and difficult to trace. And how to protect yourself from this scam, again quoting from the ARP online article, quote, Check how watchdogs like Charity Navigator, Charity Watch, and the Better Business Bureau's Wise Giving Alliance rate an organization before you make a donation. And contact your state's charity regulator to verify that the organization is registered to raise money there in your state. Do your own research online. The Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, recommends searching for a charity's name or cause you want to support, like animal welfare or homeless kids, with terms such as highly rated charity, complaints, and scam. Pay attention to the charity's name and web address. Scammers often mimic the names of familiar, trusted organizations to deceive donors. I'm going to add my two cents here. We've probably all been scammed by emails that tell us that our accounts are being shut down or what have you. I just uh, click reply to sender to check out the email address to verify that it's a scam and of course it, it always is. Going back to the ARP warning signs of uh, Um, donor donation or charity scams and and how to avoid them keep a record of your donations and regularly review your credit card account to make sure that you weren't charged more than you agreed to give or unknowingly signed up for a recurring donation passive marketing watch out for that don't give personal and financial information like your social security number date of birth or bank account number to anyone soliciting a donation. Scammers use that data to steal money and identities. Another personal aside, I've just been told by my bank that scamming is up more than it ever has been. This was in the course of a discussion I had about my having been scammed. Back to the ARP recommendations to avoid scamming. Don't click on links in unsolicited email. I just mentioned that texts or fundraising messages on social media platforms, they can unleash malware. Well, that's the end of the quote from the ARP article, which of course I'll, uh, uh, the link to which I'll, I'll put on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. The bottom line is you really should know as much as possible about the organization to which you're donating your charitable dollars. Based on my personal experience, I would check out not only an organization's legitimacy in terms of its legality, but its work. What percentage of its budget goes to operations versus program delivery? Who is on its board of directors? How does the organization communicate with its donors? And perhaps most importantly, how does it portray its successes as well as its needs? For example, if money is being raised for research, quote unquote, what studies have actually been funded? How many households are actually being served by a, quote, anti-poverty organization? For what is the money being used? If you give, it is not about what we get, such as bragging rights or invitations to fancy events. It's about what the organization's beneficiaries receive, whether their audiences are abused animals or hungry families or battered women or sick children. When it comes to philanthropy, it's really more about the getting and who's getting it than the giving. Thanks for listening. Resources for this episode will be posted on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. Have a great week. You've been listening to Woman Worthy. real talk about real issues for women over 60. Tune in wherever you receive your podcasts with new episodes every Monday morning. You can leave your comments by downloading the Podbean app to your device and on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. I'm Paulette Lee. I hope you found this program worthy of your time.